0: Can you imagine life without um, some type of personal computer? That includes your smartphone, by the way. It's a far more powerful computer than the one I remember my mom purchasing when I was in middle school. I grew up in a small town, and we are pretty sure she was the first person in our town to have a computer at home. Hers was an IBM. It probably weighed about 100 pounds. And uh, it had the amazing capacity to store 20 megabytes of information. Today, uh, my phone has around 7,000 times that amount of memory. Just over 50 years ago, the chairman of IBM declared that there was a world market for about five computers. That seemed visionary at the time. In 1977, the president of digital equipment claimed there's no reason anyone would want a computer in their home. Have you ever heard of, have you ever heard of digital equipment? I haven't. So how did we get to this? Someone had vision that others didn't have. Really, in terms of putting a personal computer in every home, the idea can be traced to the vision of one Steve Jobs, the founder of Apple Computers. Steve Jobs was just 21 when he and Steve Wozniak basically invented the home computer. Until then, computers were a monstrous mass of vacuum tubes which took up whole rooms. Jobs and Wozniak managed to take that mass of tubes and incorporate it into a box, small enough to fit on a desk. They offered their invention to Atari, Not for big bucks. All they wanted was a salary and the opportunity to continue their work. Atari couldn't see the vision and rejected them. Some of you have never heard of Atari. (laughs) They offered it to Hewlett Packard, but they couldn't see it either. It seemed only Steve and Steve could see the possibilities. So Jobs sold his Volkswagen, always a good idea. Wozniak, (laughs) I'm a little biased. Wozniak sold his calculator, a very special calculator, and with the $1,300 that gave them, they formed Apple Computers. By the way, the company was named Apple in memory of a happy summer Steve Jobs spent working in an orchard not far from here. The rest is history. By all accounts, Steve Jobs in particular was a great visionary and spurred on by that great vision. He built something pretty great. But Jobs also had Wozniak to help him carry out that vision. Before long, they had a small team which grew until a large number of people found themselves unified around a singular vision. And they were all working toward the accomplishment of that vision. One of the most important steps along the way came when Jobs realized that if his vision was to reach fruition, they needed um, greater management expertise. He approached John Scully then president of PepsiCo. And there was absolutely no reason why Scully should have le- should leave a highly paid position in one of the world's largest companies to go work with a bunch of computer nerds. In, in what was still a fledgling industry, not surprisingly, he turned it down. But Jobs wouldn't take no for an answer. He passionately presented his vision to Scully, closing his case with a question that eventually brought him on board. The question was this do you want to spend the rest of your life selling sugared water or do you want a chance to change the world? Indeed, Jobs and Scully did change the world. There's no questioning that. I believe Jesus comes to us with the same question, only on a much deeper level. Jesus is asking, do you want to spend the rest of your life treading water or do you want a chance to change the world? Most of us spend our lives doing something like selling sugared water, going to work to pay the bills, perhaps finding space for God in our spare time. But Jesus had a vision to change the world in ways that defy comparison. Steve Jobs' vision centered on the personal computer. The vision of Jesus was his church. And his vision of the church is a church that changes the world. We've been talking about our vision Here at Go Church, if you take no aim, you're not likely to hit the target. This is even more true for a brand new church trying to find its place in the bigger picture. Many new churches don't survive, I would say by far most. Why is that? Well, at least sometimes it's the lack of any specific vision or a failure to rally the team around that vision. I do believe each church has a specific vision, a specific plan conceived in the heart of God. He has specific ideas and dreams for each local church. Just like he does for each individual person, Ephesians 2, 2, verse 10. But he has a vision for this church, for Go Church. I also believe God reveals his plan, his vision for each specific church, especially to a pastor, to a leader, one who's called to be the shepherd or the head overseer of that particular church. Biblically, we see this in people like Paul and Silas and Timothy and Titus and others who led specific churches to do specific things at specific places during specific seasons of time. As Andy Stanley defines vision, it's a picture of what could be fueled by the conviction that it should be. It's a picture of what could be fueled by the conviction that it should be. And that is exactly what I've been sharing with you in this series, a picture of what could be fueled by the conviction that it should be. I do believe that God has given me a vision, guidance, really, a picture of where we're headed. This is the path forward for Go Church, and I also believe this vision will be carried out through a family of churches. The Bible clearly states in Acts 20, verse 28, that the Holy Spirit is the one who puts pastors in place over churches. That's Acts 20, verse 28. It's very clear there that pastors, also known as elders or overseers, are called and appointed by the Spirit. I believe that when the Holy Spirit puts pastors in place, it only makes sense to consider that He would also give them direction and guidance, or what we sometimes call vision. It is important that those who decide to be a part of any particular local church come to share the vision as it has been revealed to the pastor, if that church is to be successful. We must have common goals if we're to win battles. We've got to be going in the same direction if we're going to advance the kingdom of God together. The Bible says, where there is no vision, the people you've heard perish a more literal translation used in, I think it's the New American Standard, is unrestrained, and that's very, very literal. The, where there is no vision, the people are unrestrained. The picture actually in, the, in, the, in there is it's like a sack of marbles dropped on the hon, hard concrete floor. Everything goes uh, in different directions. In fact, the actual Greek basically meant they go off without any clothes. <laughs> like they just go crazy. Unrestrained means that people will go every which way when the path forward is not made clear by leadership. Conversely, when the vision is clear, we can go somewhere great, together. All that to say, yes, we will occasionally need to review God's vision for Go Church, it's vitally important that we do so. Now, I look back at the vision graphic with me for a minute, and remember what we've covered so far. We began three weeks ago with our why, our why. It's right there in the center of the graphic. Everything goes back to the reason we are doing any of this, and the reason is because of love. Because of God's love for people, and also because of the love he gives us for people. Even more so, it's because of our love for God. This is the t-shirt version of our vision, because of love. If someone asks why you're part of this church or why you spend so much time on church stuff, you could always say, because of love. That's a good reason. If you need more on that, Romans 13.10 makes it pretty clear. It says, love sums up the entire law. Love does no wrong for a neighbor. To a neighbor, therefore, sums up the, the law. Last week, we looked at our mission statement. Placed within the triangle in the graphic. Connecting community with Christ. This is our what? Our task, our calling, The what we are here to do, which is to connect community with Christ. If you missed it, you can find that message on our website or Facebook or YouTube. So we've covered our why and our what, and today we will get into our how, which is something I'm calling our discipleship strategy. That is the way we plan to help any individual person and also our church move forward in a process of spiritual development. Look at the words in the circle with the arrows. Look at that circle and look at those words and those and with the arrows. That's where we're at. We're going to start at 12 o'clock. These words outline our how, our process, our strategy, our path forward. Notice also that there are three sections to this strategy. You can see those sections in the words outside the circle. Loving God, loving each other, loving everyone. The placement of these words is also by design. Worshiping first word in the circle corresponds to loving God. And then um, sharing and learning correspond to loving each other. Blessing and missioneering correspond most with loving everyone. And and so even our discipleship strategy goes back to love. But before I get to the nuts and bolts, and this is definitely a nuts and bolts sermon. You might want to take notes or you're probably going to go to sleep fill in the blanks. That's a, that's a, that excites everybody, right? I'm just, I'm just telling you, this is one of those, we've, this is, we're going to get through this. It's like we're getting our shots today, okay? We don't really, we don't want to go get our shots, but we need to go get our shots, and it's a good thing if we get our shots, whatever shots, I don't know. I'm not talking about any shots in particular. Let's not make this political. <laughs> When I go off the cuff, boy, that's when you go, that's when you have trouble. Before I get to the nuts and bolts, let me also put our vision into a statement. Some people like pictures, other people like words and sentences and paragraphs. So our um, vision statement is printed there in your listening guide, which will allow you to take it home and memorize it by next week. Um, That's a joke. But here's the big picture in words. In order to become a church known for loving God, loving each other, and loving everyone, we make every effort to empower worship, to provide opportunities for sharing, and to facilitate learning from the Bible so that our people are catalyzed to be a blessing and propelled outward into a life of missioneering with Jesus. We'll call that a vision statement. Of course, nobody expects you to remember that, but it is something we can go back to, particularly as leaders when we need to remember who we are what we're trying to do, how we're trying to do it, and even why we started doing it all in the first place. In terms of memory, I bet many of you could remember our slogan, our why, because of love. Many of you could recall our mission statement, connecting community with Christ. Beyond that, surely anyone can remember the big picture of our vision, which is loving God, loving each other, and loving everyone. If you've been here for at least a couple years, and you can remember one or two of those, I'll consider it success. But let's go back to the long version of our vision statement printed there in your listening guide, and the careful listener says, wait wait a minute, if this is a vision statement, why did you call it a discipleship strategy? You know, I thought the title was a disciple, this is supposed to be a strategy for discipleship, and now you're telling it's a vision statement, so so which is it? Now, if you picked up on that and are concerned about that, you're going to resonate with me uh, because you think through things with order, uh, and you want it all to fit. But to answer the question, the discipleship strategy is the how part of this vision statement. The discipleship strategy that I want to unpack for you this morning comes after the words, and that statement comes after the words, we make every effort. That's the discipleship strategy. See, there's the vision of who we want to become, which is like the whole thing summarized with loving God, loving each other, loving everyone, but then there's strategizing about how we will actually get there, which is the second half of that statement and the words in the circle. So in order to become this awesome church where people actually do love God, each other and everyone else, we will make every effort to implement this strategy, which involves empowering worship, providing opportunities for sharing, facilitating learning, catalyzing our people to be a blessing and propelling them into a life of missionary with Jesus. But how is this a discipleship strategy? And what is discipleship anyway, right? OK, discipleship. Is all about helping a real person become a more devoted, more mature, more transformed, better and better follower of Jesus Christ. That's pretty much what discipleship is. And so a discipleship strategy is a plan and a structure to facilitate that kind of spiritual growth in real people's lives. Look at those words in the circle portion of our graphic, the words inside the arrows. Notice the way one flows into the next. Here we have a planned process for helping a real person move from point A to point B. Point A is the front door, and point B is actually being sent out the door on mission with Jesus. So basically, we're looking at five steps in our discipleship strategy, and you'll see them there in the circle. You notice these five steps are not independent. That's the reason for the arrows. Each step depends upon the others and generally develops from out of the previous area, of growth. The idea is that as a church, we need to guide real people around the circle. Just in your mind, put a little stick figure coming in the door at the top of the circle, and we're trying to help that person come around the circle. There's a progression to this strategy. That's why both the graphic and the words have movement. These are I-N-G words. It's a roadmap for discipleship. I think all of this will become clear as we begin to break it down. But think of it this way. Next Sunday, somebody new shows up, from the community, and this new person either recognizes a need for salvation, or if they're already saved in Christ, let's say they recognize a need to mature and grow in their walk with Him. If they're already strong, they recognize that if Go Church to become home, they need to connect in such a way that they can help others grow. In any of those three scenarios, the first step that we can provide in a plan to move such a person forward is this. Step one, to empower worship. This is generally the front door of our church and the first thing most people will experience. But what is worship? And Pastor Connor had some awesome thoughts on that recently, but here's what I came up with as a definition probably before he was born, which is this. Worship is to express and experience the worthiness of God. To express and experience the worthiness of I won't take time today to make the case for how biblical that definition is, but I will tell you that the word worship means to ascribe worth. It was originally a compound word made up of worth and ship, but eventually was shortened to worship. In reference to God, to worship Him is to express and experience His worthiness. Revelation 4.11 is a good verse to go with that. It's a minimalistic version of what we are here to do today. But where do I get the biblical basis for starting with worship in a discipleship strategy? One example is Matthew 22, 37 through 38, the greatest commandment. I've referred to it multiple times already in this series. Jesus told us the first and foremost thing for us to do is to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We could also look at John chapter four, where Jesus told us the Father actually seeks after those who will worship him in the spirit And truth, God is looking for worshipers. And how did the first church begin? Where did it all start? Where did the first church plant ever start? It started with what amounted to a worship service on the day of Pentecost. We all need to realize that there are things that happen when the church assembles for worship that do not happen anywhere else. This right here is essential (laughs) for kicking off any kind of spiritual growth strategy, whether in the lives of individuals or of the church as a whole. Now each step in our discipleship strategy needs a tool for implementation. These are not just concepts but methods, and so we need a way to actually do this stuff. And the primary tool for empowering worship is the worship service. The worship service. I promise you'll get more out of this message if you fill in the blanks. It's just a fill in the blank sermon. But see, it's one thing to say empowering worship is the first step of the how, but another question we must ask is how do we how do we empower worship? for real people who come our way. So how do we? Well, for starters, we put a considerable amount of energy and resources into providing an opportunity for meaningful worship every Sunday, right? We can't take this first step for granted. It doesn't just happen. If we don't do our best, apply one of our core values, excellence, to provide an authentic worship service, this whole thing doesn't even get started or it gets started with a limp. And by the way, providing this opportunity requires help from more than 50 people every week. That's just what it takes to pull this thing off. From set up and tear down to the children's ministry to audiovisual work to greeters to hospitality team, all the rest. It takes a lot of work from a lot of people, people who are being the church by doing this work. Understand also that to some degree the effectiveness of subsequent steps in our discipleship strategy depend on how well we did with the steps before. There's a cumulative effect to this process. By the time we get around to missioneering, there are a lot of ways we could have messed this up. But it all starts with worshiping because that is the point at which we connect with God, the one who carries us through the rest of it. That's why we put so much time and energy into this thing we do every Sunday. And now look at step two, to provide opportunities for sharing the biblical basis for this is also abundant. Hebrews 10, 24 through 25 tells us we're not to forsake the assembly of believers, but together consistently. Ephesians 4, 11 through 13 tells us we ought to be building each other up in the Lord um, to help each other along in the journey to become more like Jesus. We're to do this together as a church, not in isolation, not even just in our physical families, but we're to do this as a spiritual family, also known as a church. If you read about the early church in the first few chapters of the book of Acts, you'll see a big part of what defined them was that they shared with each other in amazing ways. They shared several things, especially time. You can find these in the scripture in Acts chapter two and on. They shared time. They shared resources. They even shared emotions. It's all there. They became close relationally, so much so that they helped each other out. They knew each other's needs. They helped each other with life. They shared with each other. They were there for each other. They prayed for each other. They cared for each other. They were devoted to each other. This is called koinonia in Greek, which is a very unique thing that only happens in the church, something that has also been called fellowship. But I like the word sharing because sharing is the only way this happens. If people don't share of their time, their resources, and even their emotions, there will be no fellowship. Notice that our strategy here is basically only to provide opportunities. We can't make people connect. So, I mean, this is the thing you hear as a pastor, as leaders in the church. You hear, we just didn't connect. And you want to say, why didn't you? You know, if there are opportunities to connect, I guess if there weren't any opportunities, then that would be our problem. But you have to connect you, okay? If there are opportunities, we're doing our part. So we want to provide those opportunities. Some churches maybe just throw up their hands and say, well, it either happens or it doesn't happen. But that's not a strategy. We want to be intentional to provide multiple opportunities for what? For sharing. Now, one of the things we need to understand here is that a modern-day worship service is not really an opportunity for this kind of sharing, is it? Not really. We, we sit and we listen mostly. It's not, this is not for Koinonia Fellowship. It's not to any great extent going to be uh, about sharing. And so what is our primary tool to provide sharing opportunities? We call them Go Groups. Go Groups are all about sharing. Go Groups are about doing life together. It's about knowing and being known. It's about having people you can ask to pray when you really need it. It might even be about asking for other kinds of help. Go groups are about sharing time, resources, and even emotions. These are basically smaller churches within our larger church. As believers, we need to share life with each other. And at this church, go groups are how we do it. Go groups are so very critical to the future of our church. The bigger we get, the more critical they become. There's so much that can be said. But for the sake of time, I need to move on to step three, which is to facilitate learning from the Bible. Okay, so we're at the bottom of the circle now. To facilitate learning for the Bible. By the way, what is a disciple? That's rhetorical. This isn't a discussion group. But think about it. What is a disciple? A disciple is a learner. The school pay and the great it's exactly what it means. It means learner. The original word means learner. It's translated as disciple in your Bible. Literally speaking, discipleship is learning. One of the most important things that should happen in your life through your church is learning from the Bible. Now, obviously, people can learn from the Bible in multiple ways, like from sermons and and from their own Bible study or from books about the Bible. But the absolute best and most biblical way for this to happen is for one person to disciple another person. If you've never been discipled, And even more importantly, if you've never discipled someone else, you're missing out on perhaps the most effective way you can learn and apply the most important truths of Scripture. The model of Jesus was to choose 12 to teach and then to take three of those and really pour into them at another level. Have you ever been a part of someone's 12 or someone's 3? Or even better, have you yourself ever tried to disciple someone else? By the way, if you have kids, uh, that's the most obvious place to start. So where do you find yourself? Are you ready to disciple someone, or you still need to be discipled, or maybe it's a little bit of both? Good news, we have a plan here at Go Church. We have a tool. The tool we will use for facilitating this special kind of learning is something we might call discipleship groups. D-groups for short. Some of you may be thinking this is new, but it isn't really, because discipleship groups are already happening primarily through men's and women's ministries. At this church, we do discipleship by having men disciple men and women disciple women. Discipleship groups also happen through Go Kids, Go Next, and Go Beyond, and those ministries are for kids, teens, and young adults. But for the rest of our adults, we do this learning part Mostly through go men and go women. Indeed, we will isolate the men from the women for this type of learning. And we do this for two reasons. First, because discipleship generally works better that way. And second, because doing this in gender groups is 100% biblical. The New Testament absolutely has men teaching men and women teaching women in the church. I'm fully aware that this is not even close to politically correct. I don't want to shock anyone, but here at Go Church, we are more interested in being biblically correct than we are interested in the approval of our culture. And remember, I'm talking about the kind of learning that means you are being discipled by someone who has taken it upon themselves to disciple you. This is biblical, and it means getting down to the nitty-gritty, okay? You know? I mean, the nitty-gritty, you know what I'm saying? Uh, in biblical times, the best disciples were said to be covered in the dust of their rabbi. They followed them so closely. That means they had a rabbi, first of all, a teacher, somebody who was pouring into them. And it means they stayed close to him. Can you see why gender can start to matter? I don't disciple women, you know, other than with sermons, as much as you can get from that. My wife disciples women, and we have many other men and women in this church who are ready and willing to help disciple those who are humble enough to be disciples. This type of learning that is being discipled simply works better when men are learning from men and women are learning from women. God made us different. We have different issues. We learn differently. We generally need to learn different things. Again, I know that what I'm saying right now is utterly countercultural, but rest assured it is not the only thing our culture has gotten wrong. I thought I might get a laugh or two there. Well, Timothy uh, was told by Paul to teach faithful men who would then be able to teach other men to be faithful. He also told older women to be teaching younger women. To be honest, the lack of this is one of the reasons things are falling apart in many churches and ultimately in our world. We sort of skipped a generation somewhere. Men didn't teach men and women didn't teach women. And we have a lot of problems because of it. So let me be clear. If you want to grow and go deeper, you need more than just Sunday church. And you probably need more even than a go group, which, remember, are more about sharing or fellowship. If you're wanting a place where you can grow deeper in the Word and help others grow, you're going to want to be involved in men's and women's ministry. Or if you're a student or young adult, go next or go beyond. Younger kids, to be honest, are the responsibility of their parents, although we will do what we can to disciple them through Go Kids, which is sort of like what we called Sunday school back in the old days. What I'm also saying is that beyond things like men's and women's Bible studies, which are certainly a big part of this, we want to go even deeper, and we have been going deeper. This fall, we will have at least two women's Bible studies going on and at least two men's Bible studies But even better, we have one-on-one discipleship happening with quite a few women and with quite a few men. This last year, we had about 20 women involved in one-on-one discipleship, and we had at least 10 men doing so as well. This is what we are all about, to be a church of disciples who are making disciples who are making disciples. This is the church Jesus had in mind. By the way, you'll never really go deep in your learning until you teach somebody else. You'll never learn to be discipled completely until you'll never be discipled. you never learn everything you need to know until you actually make the effort to disciple someone else. It's when you try to teach someone else that you're forced to grow. And that's exactly how it worked in the New Testament. Jesus' disciples learned to teach, and later they taught to learn. They only prepared with Jesus for three years before they were spending their time teaching others. They didn't have seminary either. Can you imagine? We are always looking for men and women who are willing to take on a new believer or anyone who has never been a disciple, which simply means learner, and to spend time with them, teaching them the basics of what it means to follow Jesus. This is something we will be working to develop more and more over time. But I'm so excited it's already happening and it's just happened. To some degree, Christy made it happen with men's ministry, I mean women's ministry. With men's ministry, it just, it just happened. It just, I, I didn't really even, it just, it's just happened. We just had guys that wanted to be disciples, and we're doing it. But many churches never get to this. They just never even get there, honestly. It's just, God has done amazing things. And um, I'm thankful for that. Amen? He's at work. Let's go on to step four in our discipleship strategy to catalyze our people to be a blessing to others. Up to this point, we've mostly been talking about internal affairs. Worshiping, sharing, and learning are all mostly things that happen inside the church walls, so to speak. But at the point of blessing, we're starting to think about what we do out in the world. Let's look, at the way, let's look all the way back to what basically amounts to the beginning point of our system of faith. From Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abraham... Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you and the ones who curse you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. So Abram went forth as the Lord had spoken to him and Lot went with him. Notice the word go in this initial call, which is passed down from Abraham through the generations of God's people. Believe it or not, this is the place from which we first thought of Go Church. It was Christy's idea, actually. Very, very hard for me to admit that. I'd like to delete that from the history of our church, but it was Christy's idea. And um, when she said it, I jumped. We were reading in Genesis 12, the passage I just read, and Christy said, what about Go Church for the name? Immediately, I thought about how it applies not only to the call of Abraham, but obviously to the Great Commission where Jesus said, go and make disciples, and I was like, that's it. But it's true that the moment of inception actually came from this passage in Genesis 12. And what does God say to Abraham and vicariously to us? He says, go, and when you do, you will be blessed by me. But then God also explains the reason for the blessing, which is so that we can be a blessing. To whom? To all the families Of the earth. Wait, does that include bad people? Yes. All means all. We don't have to try to figure out who is good and who is bad. We're simply to go and be a blessing. Listen, the church today needs to go and be a blessing in the world. Even though the world is sick with sin. We need to go into our community, into harder places outside our community. We need to take the blessing of God to the people. Which people? This is not rhetorical. Which people? people. Thank you. All people. Let me make clear that this call to God, the call of God to Abraham and his, his progeny, uh, is clearly ongoing. The New Testament says that followers of Jesus are the spiritual children of Abraham, the family of God. As such, this passage completely applies to us. We are called to go and be a blessing to all the families of the earth. How does this fit into our thinking in terms of a discipleship strategy or a way for people in our church to grow stronger in Christ? Well, let's pause for a moment and just think of that individual person, that stick figure that's going around the circle. This person's come along, has been, been begun to plug into our church. Let's say he or she is starting to be more involved in things like go groups, men's groups, uh, women's group. But what happens if that person stops right there at the bottom of the circle? What if he or she st- stops with learning? What happens if this person never does anything outside of the church assembled? Is he or she really following Jesus at that point? Can one really be considered a follower of Jesus and not be doing something good in the world? I don't think so. That's why this is important. Notice I use the word catalyze for this one. Do you remember that term? From chemistry class, what this means is that we're to amplify your flame until you shine more brightly than you would have on your own. As your pastor and as a church, we want to catalyze your ability to be a blessing to all the families of the earth. Now, what is the tool to accomplish this from a corporate standpoint? so simple, I'm afraid sometimes people discount it, but they shouldn't. The tool for blessing is simply community service projects. We talked some about this last week. We want to be out there doing good stuff in the name of Jesus. We want to be a blessing. We want people to notice us, and frankly, we want them to be very, very sad if for some reason our church ceases to exist. If a church ceases to exist and it doesn't cost the community greatly, that church was not the blessing it should have been. By the way, this will mean going the extra 10 miles We will do things and spend money on things and give money to things and serve and help with things that other churches consider somebody else's job. Remember that. We could also talk about how you live your life as an individual person, at work, at school. But right now we're discussing this in light of what we do together as a church. And yes, in the name of the church, in this church, we're going to take on projects in our community. We're going to help and partner with other organizations that already exist, and we are going to shine Our light. We're going to bring salt to wounds and flavor to tastelessness. Through community service, we will get busy and be a blessing outside our walls. I mentioned some of the ways that we've been doing this last week, but again, we're just getting started. I also mentioned last week that Pastor Connor is leading our Go groups to take on these projects as groups. And I believe that will multiply our efforts and we will do so much more than we would if it all had to be orchestrated from the top down. No. That makes my time and my ideas a bottleneck. But if we can see this happen through our groups, we will see powerful multiplication in the ways we bless our community. I can spend a lot more time here. We've got to move on to the most important thing. Step five, to propel our people toward missioneering with Jesus. I do believe and realize missioneering is a made-up word just in case anybody was going to let me know. It's not in the dictionary. There's a reason for it. We don't need to spend most of our energy, and this is what happens in many of the churches, kind of somewhat that I have grew up in stuff, spending our energy waving the banner that says, we have a mission. Instead, we need to actually be doing the mission. We need to put an ING on our mission. We need to actually be missioneering with Jesus. To me, this word suggests creativity and adventure while actually going somewhere. You might think of words like engineering or orienteering or even volunteering and mix that together with the word mission. You get the idea of missioneering. We're going to find the best and most effective ways to be on mission for Jesus in the world. Now, did you hear me say a moment ago that this is the most important thing? I do believe that. Why? Because this is the very thing we've been left here on earth to do. We will worship and share with each other better in heaven. If God took us home right now, nothing would be lost and no longer learning or being a blessing. But if there is one reason God has left us here on this earth, it is for the mission. What is the mission? Connecting community with Christ. This one is so important that it has its own catchphrase and it got its own sermon last week. You got this one a hundred times last week, right? Connecting community with Christ. We got that one, Pastor Good, because that is what we mean by missioneering. In many ways, the mission is the beginning and the end. We must take the gospel of Christ to our community, to our region, and to the nations if we do nothing else. The mission is sharing the message of salvation in Christ with the world. The mission is helping people who are not already disciples of Jesus become disciples of Jesus. Missioneering is the end of our discipleship strategy because being on mission is the ultimate end of being a disciple, at least on this earth. Following Jesus ultimately means going with him. And remember, he's out there looking for the one lost sheep, not sitting back in the pasture with the 99. Why is he out there doing that? Why is he searching for the lost? Anybody? Anybody? Because of love. We've come full circle. But I do have just a little bit more to share because on top of the mission being the end of our discipleship strategy, missioneering itself actually has its own strategy. Our strategy for missioneering is based on Acts 1-8 where Jesus said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. That sounds like a plan. So the tools here are oriented around geographic location. We need different tools for what we can do here in Ridgefield than we need for what we can do further away. So first, our local tools. Local tools, personal outreach and outreach events. We will encourage and train people to share their faith. Personally, just did that recently in an all-day seminar, had about 50 of you come, amazing. We'll plan and promote special events. This will be easier to do someday when we have our building, I'll admit. but We want to have these events to some degree. Worship services can be an outreach event. We want to bring, we've talked about that, bring people, let them experience the gospel here and in the church. But we'll have outreach events down the road. Um, so it points back to that. Remember that missional versus attractional discussion from last week? Again, we will do both. Now, moving quickly, what about our Judea and Samaria? That's our plan to reach the region around us. For this, our tool is church planting. By now, most of you know Dustin, our church planter for Go Church PDX. In fact, we'll officially send him and his family out on mission from us in in two weeks, a week from Sunday. They've already been living and working on the field there in Selwood uh, in Portland, and his one-year residency with us, sadly for us, has come to an end. It's time to send them out. As you know, we also have Go Iglesia, our Hispanic church plant, already up and running in Woodland. Martin Martin Leiva is the pastor, and they're on the right track. You may remember we also support another church plant called Maker's Church in Vancouver. Pray for Pastor Jason Page and his wife Megan. They're in their final weeks before launching their new church in September. Many of you know that I have a goal, and I think a vision from God, to plant 50 churches by 2050. 50 by 50 all from out of this church. Go Church Ridgefield. Now, I'll be 80 years old in 2050, so obviously I'm talking about a movement of multiplication where each of these churches plant other churches who in turn plant other churches and so on. What I'm trying to say in this sermon, though, is that church planting is how we will accomplish our mission regionally, that is, in our Judea and Samaria. Lastly, what about the ends of the earth? What are our global tools for mission accomplishment? There are three. Missionary support, mission trips, and international church planting. We have a a vision to make a global impact, just as Jesus said we should. I've got to be super brief on these tools, so let me summarize very quickly. Missionary support means we support the missionaries we already have working around the world. My daughter has been one of those. Uh, We sent Tori to Oaxaca, Mexico for several years. Some of you can remember when we prayed over her and sent her out. She's home now and will be married before too long, but she's only one of thousands of missionaries who we support. We do this through something called the International Mission Board, which is funded through something else called the Cooperative Program. It's all possible because of our connection with other churches through the Northwest Baptist Convention and beyond. So again, the first tool is missionary support. Now, the second tool we'll use for global missionering is mission trips. Our very first official mission trip leaves on Friday, this Friday. In fact, right now, uh, I'd like to ask those of you who are going on this trip to come up here with me for just a moment. I don't know if everybody's here, but everybody's here. Just stand up here somewhere together. Um, and these folks have made the commitment and frankly put out some cash <laughs> to go. and. uh we want to get this church to pray over you and um, to send us out. In fact, um, if, if you feel comfortable, uh, if, if you would want to come up, a couple people, I don't know, three or four people, five people, come up and uh, put a hand on a shoulder um, to just kind of symbolize the church praying. Anybody feel comfortable doing that? Um, awesome. And then I'm going to lead a prayer. The rest of you... Um, no, if, if you're Scandinavian and you don't feel like doing that, that's okay. But the rest of you, I know I shouldn't make that joke. Hopefully you get it. You know, some people just don't like to, you know, they just, just stay here. And, but if you're comfortable, put a hand out into the air. Whoa. I don't know. Uh, is this Pentecostal? I'm not sure what this is. Let's, uh, let's just, just, in a way of symbolizing to them that you're praying over them. And I'm going to lead a prayer, but let's all be praying. Father, uh, we, we, we put our hands out and on these, 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 what is it, eight of us that are going um, to Nicaragua, to the second poorest country in the Western Hemisphere, and building homes and sharing the gospel. And Lord, we, we lift this team up that you would use them, Lord, that we would be, we go as clean vessel, vessels, first of all, use the rest of this week even to just really make sure that we're right with you. Um, that we would go as clean vessels, that you would use us and that we would be really, uh, like we just said, a blessing to these families that we're going to be helping. Um, And Lord, that we would find a chance to share the gospel with some people this week, that we would see people saved, maybe even baptized as has happened before. And I just pray you'd bless these folks, keep us healthy, um, keep us from mishap, but mostly, Lord, use us to powerfully um, spread the gospel to the nations this week. And thank you those for those who are taking off time from work and willing to go. Thank you that Go Church is sending people to the remotest parts of the earth. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, guys. Awesome. So be praying next week, especially. We leave Friday. and um, That would be great. So mission trips. Mission trips are going to be a big part of who we are. The Go Church, you know, COVID slowed us down. We, we had trips planned. Get, they kept getting canceled. But look forward to more mission trips in the future. I've led many of these over the years. Nothing compares in terms of making a difference, both in the lives of those to whom we're going and also in the lives of those who go. I like to say mission trips are like discipleship on steroids. Okay. All right, the third tool for our global mission effort is very exciting to me. International church planting. This could apply in the most obvious way, planting churches in other countries, but I also look forward to reaching international people in our own country because, after all, they are here. right? As mentioned, we already support a Hispanic work, and I believe we'll be planting many other international um, churches in God's timing. And so doing will be in some way going to the ends of the earth. As I wrap up, I know that there has been a lot to take in, Uh, Like drinking from the fire hose today, and it's um, it's a lot of information. It's not my favorite kind of sermon to preach. Um, you know, if if you know the big church that was wanting me to come be their pastor recently, this isn't the message I would send them to see if they want me. (laughs) That's a joke. Uh, no, again, off the top of my head, I get in trouble. But yeah, this isn't the message that you know uh, that I enjoy as much, but. Um, I do it because I want you to be on board. I don't. I don't want it just you to be scratching your head or or taking note of when, you know, what the church is doing as if that were not you. Uh, we are a team, and we're a team with a plan. But if the team doesn't have some idea what the plan is, uh, that plan isn't that plan isn't worth very much, right? If you don't know what it is, so that's why I've taken these three Sundays. To make sure you're in the loop if you're wondering why I haven't shared all this before uh, actually I did share it in 2018 and 2020 and I share it in every membership class um, so I try to do it about every other year um, and uh, so some of you though I know are hearing it for the first time um, others of you are sick of it and glad we are done such is the way of things in the church you always have a mixed crowd right so we're going to pray and um, then sing a song And I want you to be thinking about how you can apply this message as we sing. How can you be involved with the discipleship strategy I've shared? Where do you find yourself in the circle? Is there another step you need to take? And all I ask is that you think about and pray about what is God leading you to do? And always, as always, there'll be leaders in the back uh, for prayer. You can go back and share a prayer request, pray with them. You could share a decision you're making or ask a question. There'll be some some good, strong spiritual leaders in the back. Uh, So as we sing, you could go back there. Would you stand with me? And I'm going to pray, and then we're going to sing. Go ahead and stand. Father, thank you so much that you're with us today. Lord, continue to speak to our hearts. Help us know how we can respond to uh, this message. We don't want to go away without giving you a chance to lead us to make a change or take a step. So do that as we sing. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to Go Church's weekly sermon podcast. If you enjoyed the sermon, be sure to rate and review us. If you want to learn more about the ministry of Go Church or catch up on previous sermons, check out our website, www.gochurchpnw.com. You can also connect with Go Church on Facebook and Instagram.